This morning, I would like us to consider a topic that is raised by the Word of God and is important for us to consider from time to time. And to address that topic, I would like us to reflect upon the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation, or calling, wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, that is patience, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. And the topic I would like us to consider from these words, the rest of Holy Scripture, can be approached by this question. Are we Catholic? Are we Catholic? Well, that could seem like a very odd question, especially in a church that considers itself to be the Protestants Protestant. We who thoroughly embrace the heritage of those who confess that the church desperately needed to be reformed, many of them being cast out and persecuted, and some of them even put to death by a church that took to itself the terminology of Catholic. And yet, Protestants have historically used such language, embracing the creed that is sometimes called the Apostles' Creed and confessing it. We've had our children learn it, haven't we? Which concludes, I believe, in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a subordinate standard, a confession that we believe to be agreeable to God's word in the chapter on the church, uses this very language several times referring to the church as Catholic. The Catholic or universal church. Section 2 of 25, the visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel. Section 3, unto this Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry. Well, we shouldn't be sticklers for words, especially words that are not explicitly there in the Bible. However, if certain words or terms in the history of the church 
have been used and have proved helpful to express biblical teaching because it's not what the Apostles' Creed says or the Westminster Confession of Faith. That is the basis for our faith and our hope. No, it is the Word of God. If a word such as the Trinity, which is not found in the Bible, we find to be helpful, very helpful to express the teachings of the Bible, then we should not, I think, lightly give it up. Even when it becomes hijacked and abused by those who are no longer worthy of the name. But I would contend that the Church of Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, abuses that beautiful word and misappropriates it and applies it to itself when, in fact, by very virtue of consolidating all authority and power in the Church of Rome, as opposed to any other churches, and exalting one man contrary to the word of God, to sit, as it were, as they say in Peter's seat, and to be the head over the church, and to foist upon the true church all manner of doctrines and religious observances that have absolutely no basis in God's word, teaching a different gospel and a different salvation than by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, then that church is not worthy of a word that has been used to designate that which the Bible ascribes to the true church. Well, we are not going to be great sticklers for words, but I happen to think, as William Perkins of old, that that is a term that is a good term and a lovely term and expresses the faith of God's people throughout the ages and throughout the world. As William Perkins wrote a book called The Reformed Catholic. Well, again, let us not be overly concerned about words, but the substance of it, that, that's what we need to get after, is the substance of what has historically been used by those whom we recognize as believers in Jesus Christ, churches throughout the world. Does the substance of this word have a basis in Scripture with respect to the church? Well, let's answer that question under five points. First, the Bible teaches that the church is one, historical. Second, ecumenically, we'll explain that word. Third, spiritually. Fourth, visibly. Fifth, imperfectly. The church is one, historically, ecumenically, spiritually, Visibly, yet imperfectly. The church is one. This is really 
right at the center, at the very heart of what has been understood and confessed by God's people when at their baptism in the earliest times of Christianity they confessed not simply a particular church to which they belonged, whether Antioch, whether whether the church of Crete, whether that of Jerusalem, but the Catholic Church. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church. They believed that they were, through their confession of sins and their confession of the Lord Jesus Christ, and through the waters of baptism, that they were becoming a part of a a body, a great body of people who share a fundamental oneness. We must, says the Apostle Paul, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, not two, not three. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Whether or not this, by the hand of Paul, was capturing an ancient creed, or whether Paul was simply waxing poetic, it certainly is both creedal and poetic. The church confesses. All believers confess that they belong to one church. One church. One that is not something that is just dropped out of the sky, not something that uh, still, as it were, has its stickers on it, still in the packaging. Now, when we are reborn, everything becomes new to us. But at that moment, the Spirit ushers us into a body that is not at all new, but is very, very old. Going back to the days of the apostles and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and even to the ancient church of all the graves who accorded in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11. We join this great cloud of witnesses when we confess the Lord Jesus, that one name, the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. And so our faith, although it is unique to us, it is shared with a great host and an army of saints, many, many, many of whom have gone before. O Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. 
The faith was passed down as God ordained that it should be from parents to children and to their children that they might set their hope in God, Psalm 78, and not be like their fathers who provoked God and they perished in the wilderness. Eunice taught Lois. And Lois taught Timothy. And the torch passed from hand to hand. And it's passed down to us. Now, not everything that is historic is of this Catholic faith. The Church of Rome can boast much history. But there is good tradition, and then there is advanced tradition. Receive the tradition, says the Apostle Paul, which I received and I have delivered unto you. That is the tradition that we are to take and that we are to pass on and to share that one faith. One body, one spirit, as even as we are called in one hope of our calling. We are to pass it on. Oh, let us pass it on. Let us pass it on to our children. They are given to us for such a short period of time. God will have us take that torch of the holy faith that belongs to all the church of all ages and to incorporate them into that living body of those who are following in the footsteps of Jesus. And even as Protestants, we know that there was a surgery that had to be performed at the Reformation all the cancerous tissue of false doctrines of the worship of the Virgin Mary, of purgatory, of penance, of that works righteousness by which the deeds of the Christian in some sense are meritorious and so with Christ's help get us to heaven. All of that needed to be cut away. But the body had to be spared. There was much, and there is much, that continued, of course, by the time of the Reformation. The, the, the very body of the true church was, as it were, on life support. We are in a great debt to what happened in the church before 1517, especially in those first several centuries. The great council of Nicaea, the Arian controversy. But even some, some of the great thinkers enabling us to, 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 to receive a, a sound doctrine of the Trinity 
Oh, let's distinguish between the things that differ. Let's not swallow the poison that is peddled under the name of Catholic. Oh, no. Let us be historical in the best historically following in that faith of one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Second, that term, Catholic Church, one might say Catholic with a lowercase b, definitely not Roman Catholic, which incidentally is a contradiction in terms. The church is one ecumenically. There's another word that has developed some very bad language, but really it comes from the Greek, from, a, from the Greek term that means worldwide. In the first case, this refers to the fact that under the gospel, the church is not um, largely uh, restrained to the people of God who, uh, who were of Israel, but now is comprised of all people, both Jew and Gentile, and there is no middle wall of partition. There is no more circumcision. There, is, there are no more dietary laws, things that, that would uh, create a barrier within the church. In fact, any of that that creeps into the church is to be refused. We are no longer to observe Passover. We are no longer to observe the Feast of Booths. You know, you have some Christians, some of them may be well-meaning, but this kind of thing, this resurrection among those who are ethnically Jews and yet Christians, that uh, the, the Judaism the Judaism of the Old Testament and of the days of the first disciples, that that has to be somehow revived. This very thing puts another wedge within the church. No, there is one church. And it's a beautiful thing when you see Jewish converts and Gentile converts intermingling together, worshiping in the same church, calling upon the Lord together. That's a beautiful thing, and it always has been. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So that's what Catholic also means, as the Confession of Faith puts it in chapter 25, section 2, the visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children. And as the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and the family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Incidentally, that's a term 
that our forefathers, that that language comes from Cyprian. And the Roman Catholic Church liked to use that quote from Cyprian, that outside of the church there is no salvation. Now, its abuse was rejected by the Reformers, but, but the church is not a cipher. It's not this unimportant thing that you can have if you want to, if you prefer. No, outside of it, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. You see, that's a, that's a hat tip to the good tradition. And incidentally, the very fact that we confess that the church, this visible Catholic church, consists of those who profess the true true religion and of their children, again, demonstrates the, the nuance. Because we reject so many things, so many corruptions of the Church of Rome, but we do not exclude children as our Baptist brethren. They are holy, and they belong to the visible Catholic Church. The text that our forefathers used to point to frequently for this worldwide church, 1 Corinthians 1-2, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, here's a particular church, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Friends, when you get saved, when you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, When you get baptized, if you haven't been baptized already, it may happen within the doors of a local church, but you are not joining the local church in the first instance. You are joining the worldwide Catholic Church, the entire army of those who call upon the Lord, of which this is a chapter or branch. That is what our forefathers meant, and I think that's exactly what Scripture teaches. Now, be Bereans. I'm not asking you to believe things simply because I say it. And I'm certainly not asking you to believe things because the Westminster Confession of Faith says so. It's a tool, but nothing more than that. In fact, this word Catholic is not biblical and therefore is a tool and nothing more than that. But it's a helpful tool. You know, you have those in your toolbox, don't you, men? You've got certain tools that you don't use that often, but this one, this one's especially helpful. And you know what? Get your dirty hands off it if it's not yours. Are you Catholic? I am. When I pass by that local Roman Catholic church, I will pray for them that their eyes may be opened. But until they renounce their false system of religion, I will not call them Catholic. At best, I'll call them Roman Catholic. 
pardon me for being a little jealous. Because it's a beautiful concept to belong to the worldwide Catholic Church. And that wherever I go, I encounter those who belong to the same church. Even if the way it's described, even if the sign says things that, well, I'm not quite sure I align with that. Perhaps that's a little silly in my taste. But if I sit down and I talk with them and it seems as though the root of the matter is with them, you're my brother. You're my sister. I may never have met you before. You know, that happens sometimes. You're on the airplane, but you're at a coffee shop and and one thing leads to another, and pretty soon you're having a conversation with another Christian. You've never met them before, and maybe you'll never see them again. But you recognized the family. Third. By confessing that the church is Catholic, we would confess that it is so historically, that is the faith, the essence of the faith that has been proclaimed through the ages and received by the church. It is one ecumenically that is no longer Jewish exclusively, but Jew and Gentile under one roof and spread throughout all the world as our Lord Jesus prophesied it would be in John chapter 4. Here we are. East Greenwich, halfway around the world from Palestine, where Jesus and the apostles taught and preached. And we are a part of the same body. Third, the church is one spiritually. That is to say, in the first case, God's church that universal, that, that Catholic Church that uh, is as a stream that flows through the ages, it is in the first case a spiritual body. It is not, and here again is where we oppose the Roman Church. The Church is not in the first case an outward organization. It is in the first case a spiritual body united to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one It's not by your baptism, friends. It's not by the hocus-pocus of some pretended priest. It is by the rebirth, which brings forth faith that calls upon that one name. This is fundamentally and essentially a spiritual body 
that consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ the head thereof. And as the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. This is a spiritual body in the first case. Which explains how branches of the visible body can decay and fall away, and yet the universal church remains. You read in Revelation 2 and 3 of seven particular congregations. With some of them, the Lord Jesus warned them, if you don't repent, I'm going to take away your candlestick. Well, all seven no longer have a candlestick. So is there no Catholic Church? Well, to be sure. But it is as it is as the the diverting of a river and new pools and and new new lakes and are created of grace. I was found of those that sought me not. That's a warning. A warning to all of us is that if we just rest on our laurels, if we just say, well, well, you know, I'm a part of the good olive tree. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I was born this way. My parents taught me. I was baptized in the church. I've always been in the church. But God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And if you don't continue in the faith, There is only cursing that remains. The fundamental idea for the Protestants was that the church, this Catholic, universal, historic church, is in the first case spiritual. And in the first case, they would say invisible. Because you can't see the hearts of men. You know, Demas joined the visible church. But clearly, his heart was not in it. Having loved this present world. They went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, Doubtless they would have continued with us, but that it may be made manifest that they were not all of us. Fourth, although the church is one spiritually, essentially in the first case, even invisibly, the church is yet one visibly. We can see the church 
And in some sense, we can see this universal, this worldwide church. She is, as we read in Scripture, beautiful. The love of Christ as Tirza, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. And this government has, it has visible officers. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, God had set some in the church, first apostles, particular apostles who have names. Secondarily, prophets. Thirdly, teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, and so on. You see, this is a, it is a visible society that is spread throughout the world. <clears throat> now, we do not generally <clears throat> witness this church altogether in the same place. We're only going to see that in glory. But we do see particular manifestations of this one Catholic Church, wherever there are gatherings of God's people who are worshiping the Lord according to his will, and who are visible saints, whose light shines before men, that they may see their good works and glorify their Father who is in heaven. But fifth, the church is one imperfectly. There is much discord, much division. Some of that is necessary, as Paul said. There had to be divisions among you that those who are approved may be made manifest. There is a division, there is discord, there is a corruption of doctrine. We have that, of course, throughout the epistles of the Apostle Paul. What's wrong with you people, as R.C. Sproul would say? And so even the Apostle Paul. What's wrong with you people that you should begin to question the doctrine of the resurrection? That's a part of the oneness of our faith. It's because sin continues in its individuals. And sometimes it seems so very hopeless. All the imperfection, the weakness, the, the discord, the, the pettiness, the, the jealousies, the I'm breaking away from this church because you didn't paint the walls the color that I liked. I mean, it's so very easy, especially in modern consumerist America. And we just start up a church a few miles down the road. All these different ministries, so-and-so's ministries, all and these things, they're just heartbreaking, even among those of whom we would expect more. People whose doctrine is sound and biblical, they harbor these resentments. 
or they, they, they lord it over others in a hundred different things. But Jesus ascended on high, not that this church, this church of his should be in a perpetual state of weakness and corruption and disarray. But he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. All of that may seem so very far removed, but Jesus doesn't have any problems with this vision. Why do we? If that's why he gave these gifts to his church, why do we? Why do we work against his prayer? That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast Now, as we close... Brethren, whether after this treatment you're, you may like that term or perhaps not so fond of it, whatever the case may be, as long as we can agree on the essence of these biblical teachings. But for my part, I will be a Reformed Catholic, as Perkins was. I say to you particular Christians, be Catholic-minded. Love. 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 Love every child of God. Start right at home. This is, this is a, A small chapter, but nevertheless a real chapter, a real small division of that one universal church of God that confesses one body, one spirit, one hope of their calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, do we not? We confess these things. Are we one? Well, we're doctrinally one. We're all good Presbyterians. We've got our catechism memorized, or at least we're working on it. Not enough. In fact, there are many other Christians who know how to love better, to serve better, to show kindness and hospitality and, and patience and forbearance better than many of those who can cross their T's and dot their I's theologically. Now, that's not to relativize the importance of our doctrine. But Paul shows us the better way. Love. 
love every child of God. Start first with the community of faith that is right here, this small branch of the universal Catholic Church. Today, and then as you encounter other Christians, love them as you have opportunity and embrace them. Now be discerning, But if you discern, as our forefathers would sometimes say, if you discern the root of the matter by some of those basic questions, well, then take it at face value. Be zealous for your denomination, but not too zealous. Love rejoices in the truth. And this is where we need to build a wall against a, an ungodly ecumenism that basically is so broad thinking that we just basically swallow anything. No. No, we reject the gospel of Oprah Winfrey. It's not the gospel. This chicken soup for the soul gospel, it's another gospel. Now, the things that you have been taught, which we believe to be agreeable to God's word, adhere to and embrace and contend for as you have opportunity. And don't be ashamed. Don't be shy. God could use you as an agent of bringing Apollos into a better way. But don't be too zealous. Don't be a partisan. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am Cephas, and I am Christ. Is Christ divided? Was, Christ, was, was Paul crucified with, for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And especially those who lead in the church, we need to set the example. We need to set the tone. We ought to embrace Reformed Catholicity. Reform. The Catholic nonetheless. Now it may seem as these two terms are opposite, but no, it's only Roman Catholicism which is inherently at odds with itself. We must go beyond a paper Catholicism. We must recognize other Christians and other Christian bodies, even though they are, in the language of the confession, more or less pure. We must recognize their existence, and we ought to recognize their authority. such as in receiving their members. These members, as long as they belong to a clear chapter of the visible church, however imperfect, if it 
does seem, and the pointers and indications are there, that this is a recognizable branch of the Christian church, and this seems to be a member in it, then this table is for them as well. Because this is not our table. We have responsibility over it, but we are to embrace all of Christ's sheep as we have opportunity. We must recognize their authority in transferring and receiving members. We've got to be responsible in making sure that one who leaves us is going into the proper care of another church and not be be too jealous and to rejoice that God is is transplanting one to another, but they're not to start over as a brand new convert. No, they are to be recognized as Phoebe was to be recognized in the church of Rome. Receive her in the Lord. We are to recognize as office bearers the authority of other churches provided that they are relatively and discernibly Christian in respecting their discipline. That's not to suggest that other churches or even that our church will always get it right. Or upon investigation that certain mistakes or even sins were made, but the default needs to be at the start. I'm going to assume that this is legitimate until it's proven otherwise. And you need to do me the same courtesy. That's how it needs to be. And yet, sadly, these things, sadly, these things often fall through the cracks. Or these principles are altogether ignored. Our time hastens on, but... We would be remiss if we did not say that we must plant churches with a commitment to reformed Catholicity. We must prioritize the kingdom. Paul did not go where Christ was named, lest he should build upon another man's foundation. We must sign, as it were, a non-compete and partner where we can. Peter and Paul agreed. You go to the Gentiles, I'll go to the Jews, and let's shake on it. Sometimes that's not always so straightforward. We admit that. Sometimes it's impossible, but we should at least try, at least try, to focus on the kingdom and not simply trying to get other church members to become our church members because it works both ways. We must pray and labor for the perfection of unity. We must be really serious about pursuing outward visible unity with churches of like mind. Professor Murray said, the mysterious unity of believers with one another must come to visible expression 
so as to be instrumental in bringing conviction to the world. Let us set the tone in seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, in eschewing partisanship, casting aside pettiness, sour and bitter attitudes, and I say this even to myself as I preach it. It's so very easy when we are in the right just to harbor a bitter spirit that is not pleasing to the Lord, nor does it honor the spirit of his prayer that they may be one. And let us, let us, For of such, of such, is the kingdom of God. Amen. Let us close in prayer. O Lord, we pray that thy church may be one. It is one, and yet, Lord, outwardly, it is very divided and fractured and corrupted. But, Lord, grant that we would pursue that unity, not at the expense of truth and purity, but, Lord, we would labor, labor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and build up the Walls uh, build up the uh, the walls, Lord, that seem to be in disrepair, and we pray Thee to heal wounds and breaches. Have mercy on us now. We ask through Christ. You may be seated.